Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me those ears. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for letting me those eyeballs. Today, man, I'm going deep. I'm going across the pond, the big pond, to talk to my man, Aaron. Aaron, how you doing today, man? I'm really good, thank you. Really good indeed. Uh, other side of the world to you, obviously. Probably got very different weather to you, but yeah, I'm very good. It's currently absolutely pouring down with rain in England, so uh, I'm guessing it's a lot better where you are. Yeah, it's not too bad here. Not too bad here. Aaron, let these folks know who you are, and uh, and then I'll let them know why I brought you on and why I wanted to talk to you. Sure. Well, my name's Aaron Evans. Um, I work for an organization called Global Data, which is the fastest growing business and analytics uh, organization on the London Stock Exchange. Now, specifically, my role within Global Data is sales enablement. Over the last 13 years or so, I've been working in this wonderful sector we call sales enablement. In fact, before it was even called sales enablement, I was working in sales enablement, um, ranging from lots of different businesses, from large multinational companies like the one I'm at at the moment, as well as some nimble startups, as well as IPOing an organization in Australia in 2014. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all things sales enablement, and I get very excited about all things sales enablement as well. That's, that's why you're here, Matt. Hey, let the folks know your definition, and everybody has their own point of view, but give them your point of view, your definition of sales enablement, and then let's dig into that. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I think there's two types of sales enablement, right? There's the sales enablement that falls way towards the sales operation side of things. So helping create content, being the conduit between product marketing and sales, uh, developing, uh, you know, uh, curriculum and training. My expertise is way more towards the training and coaching side of sales enablement. So fundamentally, what I do is I support 450 salespeople across the globe in coaching on methodology, coaching on qualification processes, coaching on sales processes, as well as doing that other stuff of when there's product launches or tweaks in the product. I'm the conduit between uh, product marketing and sales to achieve that as well. So a really good way of looking at it, I think, is that we're sort of like, when it comes to strategy and when it comes to sales, we are the mouthpiece and also the trainer and coach for the organization to deliver on those key things, including key strategic initiatives as well. Yeah, I mean, give me give me an idea. Give the listeners and the viewers an idea of, you know, a day in the life of, like, I'm a salesperson, I'm struggling, I'm an SDR, I'm struggling. How do you help me with your business intelligence? Great, yeah. So, so in terms of in terms of my role in uh, in 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 my organisation, there's sort of three or four ways that you can maximise the value in me. Number one is you can go to our learning learning management system or LMS, and you'll find an absolute ton of content and videos and case studies and examples, um, and even live client calls. You can use that as your way of you know doing your your own self supported learning. Alternatively, you might go to your manager and go, look, here's a few areas that I'm looking to work on. And then your manager will put you in a course to come and work with me and go through the training or the coaching to be able to now execute on that competency. There's also one-on-one -on -one coaching. You might turn around and go, look, I'm struggling on questioning or I'm struggling on my closing or I'm struggling on this certain objection in which you can book some time in with me and I'll help coach and train you around that process as well. Um, we're really fortunate because 
as an organization, I think it's it's one of those things that I like to explain to people like a sports team. If you've got a sports team and all you've got is your manager and you don't have a coach working with you, you're in big, big trouble, right? When it comes to coaching on plays, when it comes to coaching on the, the team you're playing against, when it co- comes to coaching on different tactics and strategies you're going to use, you wouldn't just rely on the manager to do that. You'd have a team of coaches around to enable that to happen. And that's exactly what sales enablement does in our organization. It helps maximize the potential of the sales rep and make sure that they're continually improving and getting better at their job day on day. I, I agree. I, th- I think we're seeing this more and more, and you're probably way ahead of it than I am, is that there was this always managers, coaches, salespeople. But now we're seeing this separate entity called coaching, like giving a legitimate role within the organizations. And my theory is because of the rise of technology, complexity, buyer journey, how buyers approach us, we need that role because the manager doesn't have time. You know, talk on that a little bit about, you know, the evolution and what you've seen over the last few years, man, in terms of coaching. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and, and my, my philosophy on it has changed quite a lot, particularly over the last 10 years. For far too many organizations, coaching is a moment that something just happens in the business where your manager grabs you and coaches you. And you're like, OK, I've been coached and now I'll go back and do my job. One thing I've noticed and one thing I've encouraged over the last 10 years is actually to get coaching deeply ingrained into the DNA of the organization. The statistics around coaching and the success that it has for a business are incredible. Every dollar spent on coaching has a $7.9 return on investment. That's how effective coaching actually is. So what I've noticed about coaching is is that they've tried to scale it with organizations. So technology has really helped do that. So exactly what you said, it used to be down to the manager to do coaching sessions with a rep, and it was a moment that happened. With the birth of products like Gong and Chorus, it's actually part of the rep's daily activity is that after they've listened to a call, they'll go back and listen to Chorus, they'll go back and listen to Gong, and they're encouraging that self-supported coaching and learning. Now, I'm a massive believer in coaching, as you can probably tell from this conversation. And I think where a lot of organizations go wrong is they don't codify coaching. It's just something that happens. Whereas if you build out like a competency framework, so you break down every single skill you want within every single role within the organization, you then create basically a menu for the manager to coach against those skills. And then the manager starts finding the unconscious incompetencies within their reps and then turning those into unconscious competencies by following through that kind of competency framework. Um, so I think to, to be really clear about it, what organizations have done is they've tried to turn it less into kind of an art form and more into a science and technology has enabled us to do that. But also it's that kind of drip effect, not just coaching once in a while. It's constantly coaching to make sure the reps are developing. The other thing I'd say, and I think you, you probably noticed this as well, is that there's five different types of um, generation in the workforce at the moment. And this most recent workforce are all about learning, all about learning and developing. So you've got to satisfy that, that, that first that they've got. So if you Why want to... Wait a minute, I just want to get this right. So we got we got baby boomers, yeah, got Gen Xers, got millennials, Gen yeah. Z oh, sorry, four, sorry, four, sorry, four different, four different generations of work. Sorry, yeah. I said, man, he's got a new one I don't know about. <laughs> There's no two hundred year olds yet in the in the workforce. Sorry, four different generations. But let's think about how we're satisfying that that you know, as you said before, the 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 uh, the, the Gen Z, I think they're called now, or I generation. Um, You've got to be satisfying that need for them to learn. If they're not earning and learning, then they're going to be going for the door. And if you look back on any organization's reasons for people leaving a business, you'd be surprised how many of them are, I'm just not learning enough. Every time I come into work, I'm, I'm doing the same thing and I don't feel like I'm progressing. So having a strong culture of coaching is going to help you develop that stickiness of your talent in the, in the business as well. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's really interesting, right? I mean, because, you know, when somebody says, because, again, if they're not learning, they're not earning. And, and you know, that's a, that's a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm learning, I'm earning. If I'm earning, I want to learn more. That, that, that virtuous cycle. But, but it is interesting, the difference is baby boomer here, when I look at millennials, you know, they're more like, hey, man, I need to be developed. Mm-hmm. They're more demanding of it than we were. We were like, back, back in the day, you were like, wait your time. Your time will come. It's yeah. all patience. It was never structured. Just just watch and learn. Just follow yeah. Aaron. Watch what he does and learn. And today it's more, it's more planned out, more structured. And that goes to retention. And so, mm-hmm. so what do you see as some of the difficulties? I mean, some of the challenges. You know, when you're trying to implement a rollout of sales enablement plan, a program for a company, what are some of the challenges that you see that you're having to deal with like every day? Give me, I want the angst, Aaron. Give me, give me your angst. Like, oh, Vic, this really just torques me off. Yo, give me that. I want that. Well, you're, you're opening up Pandora's box here. You, you get me on a run I, with I, this. I want, that's what I'm doing, man. I want to open the box, man. Come on, open the box, man. Look, open the box. I want, let, the, I want the real deal, Aaron. I want some like behind the scenes. This is, I want to, you know, I want to pull on my man bun type of thing. Go. <laughs> well, look, when you distill it down, right, what, what is sales enablement is that you're a change agent, right? You're going in and you're always changing things. Your, your objective is to go and change someone, change a process, change a product, change a, 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 you know, a way of doing things. And people don't like change. So the way that you approach change has to be slow and steady and deliberate. And sometimes it's frustrating. Like, you know, you're going in and you're making a strategic change to the organization in which the person you're about to change is going to make less money. You're going in there and you're saying to them, here's the new process. Oh, I'm sorry, but you're going to make less money. And getting someone to see the, the value and see the reason behind doing that and to buy into the company perspective of doing that is really, really hard. So you do spend a lot of time um, defending corporate strategy. You do spend a lot of time trying to get to the why we're doing things really quickly to show the bigger picture, to show what the world would look like afterwards. But you're still a change agent, and it's, and it's really hard. I mean, you know, some of the hardest people to change are salespeople. The job they do forces habit because they're often doing the same thing again and again and again, and it's a fertile breeding ground to slip into bad habits. But going in there and someone pointing out your flaws and saying you've got to improve on this is really, really tricky. The other side to that is that I'm not selling. I haven't sold for a long time. So you've got to prove that you're good at this, and you've got to prove that you can add value, and you've got to prove that you can you know, ultimately do the job yourself. So it puts you in a sticky position, you know, like as the age old saying goes, those that can't do teach and you've got to prove that that's not the case with you. Um, and it's hard. It's very, very hard. I've always said with, with, um, with sales enablement, the very top of the organization see the value of sales enablement. The very bottom of the organization, like the, the, you know, the, the end user, the salespeople see enormous value in sales enablement. Everyone in between is always questioning what you do. If you're a manager right. of sales team, there's an assumption there that you're, that you're, you're not helping or that you're an outsourced team that you just send your reps to. Um, right. And you, your job in sales enablement is to, is to basically demonstrate value throughout the whole stratas of the organization. It's really, really tricky and tough. Give me a day in the life of like what you, you know, give me one example of here's Victor, somebody who is not performing, you know, and I need to kind of shift that mindset. How do you do it? You know, give me the conversation you're having with them. Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. And the, the thing that I always lean on is is coaching, right? So I never want to tell someone they're doing bad at something. I want them to have that moment and that realization that they could do better themselves. So it can be a slow, painful, excruciating process. But your job is to use guided discovery to help them realize that there is an unconscious incompetence. You know, the age old thing of like, you, you don't know what you don't know. How many fingers am I holding up at the moment? Three. So the stuff you just don't know that you don't know, right? 
and, right, and right. this is the point. Your, your objective as a coach. By the way, by the way, for, I, I, I got to highlight this in case you're listening to this because you don't know what he just did to me. He held up one hand, only showed three fingers on the screen, but then he had two fingers off screen that he brought it in screen, which is five. I don't know what I didn't know. So good point, Matt. Great visual, by the way. Great visual. That's an unconscious incompetence, right? You don't know that you're shit at it. There's, there's nothing you can do, right? Your, your objective as a coach is to let people realize where they're going wrong. So a large part of the coaching session is trying to get people to realize where they're going wrong. So let's say as an example now, right, that you were struggling with, um, I thought you were asking too many closed questions. You want to start broadening and narrow down. So you turn around and say, how do you think that call went? And you'll often get a lot of feedback. Then you focus in on the questions. How do you think the questioning went? I thought it was okay. Okay, interesting. So when you say it's okay, what do you mean by okay? I thought I found what I needed to find. How many open questions versus closed questions do you think you asked? Oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you've got them thinking about the potential problem. Mm -hmm. And then your objective is to get them to see that problem. Once they've found that problem, you're trying to coach them around a strategy of solving that problem. So you have to assume that everyone either has the answer or they can find the resource to answer the question themselves. Your job as a coach is just to get them to find that resource or to find that answer. And then once they, once they admit there's a problem and that they, they've got a strategy to go and implement the, the solution, you then work with them to, to solve the problem. My job is not about telling people what to do. It's about telling them, showing them a way of thinking that's different to how they're thinking at the moment. One of the things is you, you have to create, what I love about what you just said, you have to create an awareness that maybe you're not doing everything you should be doing, right? In other words, you're not asking the right amount of open versus closed-ended questions, whatever that ratio might be. And I assume that that's where you begin to pull in some of the business intelligence, right? Like like the gong data or the chorus AI data. How do you use that in a coaching scenario? Like what, there's the awareness, hey, do you really realize what you're doing? And then there's the you know, slowly making them feel the pain of, hey, you're losing deals that you could have been getting, might be impacting your bottom line, and then get them to fully change. That whole spectrum of change, how do you use the data to kind of move them through that? Yeah, really good question. So, look, I mean, the, the Gong's tagline sums it up perfectly, which is goodbye opinions, hello reality, right? I mean, what, what Gong allows you to do is it allows you to pinpoint and say there's the evidence of, of where it's going wrong and the rep to look you cold in the eyes and see that it's going wrong. Um there's another couple of really cool things you can do. So we build scorecards into our gong as well. So when someone you're, you're, you're reviewing someone's call, you're doing it basically on a, a, you know, a structure that you've got in place and we're all speaking from the same language. It's not like you turn around to them going, your questioning's not good. You can turn around and go, look, the finessing of your questioning wasn't good because you didn't frame this question and it was about pricing. And it's like, okay, I know what that means because we're all speaking the same language. Um, but in terms of the intelligence that you can get to, to, to build this out, we've got coaching scorecards. We've got percentage scorecards that spit out how someone's doing. We've got role play scorecards. We've got uh, different types of sale process scorecards as well. So if you, as an example, if you were doing a negotiation call, um, I, I'd be looking at certain pieces of data in that negotiation call to see whether it's been successful or not. Um, as an example, I'd like to know how many times we're pre-closing. I'd like to know how many times that we're dealing with objections in that that process in that um, negotiation call. I'd really be really interested to listen to the amount of silence from the rep side in that negotiation call. I'd also be really interested to see what the um, the patience ratio is. So when someone speaks, how quickly the reps jumping in to talk again. I don't want the reps justifying the price. So after they've given the price, how quiet they are after the price as well. So there's lots of different metrics you can look at to determine whether it's a successful call or not. Can you do that? And, uh, you know, by the way, I love Gong. I've, I've uh, interviewed the uh, CEO, Amit Bendoff, great guy. Chris yeah. Orlob over there also. Uh, good people, great concept, funky website. 
as I call it. It's a funky website. The the on the scorecard piece that you guys have developed, you talked about the negotiation phase of the actual sales cycle. So you're you're saying you have scorecards maybe throughout the different phases of the sales process and you analyze those individually? Is that how you do it? Yeah, exactly right. So if it, we've we've got a six step sales process, and within that sales process, there's probably about eight or nine different pieces of criteria that fit within that sales process of tasks that the rep has to do, as well as some customer led actions as well. And we'd actually have a scoring for each part of that process as well, which 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 may seem overly scientific, right? But the point here is that mm-hmm. you're not doing every single one every single week. You're biting off a little portion of each part, and you're working on that closely mm-hmm. with the rep. So you're not trying to meet the elephant hole. It's about small, tiny increment, incremental improvements with different parts of the sales process. I love that. And, and it's almost like it plays to millennials, you know, the gamification, because kind of, that's kind of how they look at it, right? If you've got exactly six right. phases and nine metrics within those six phases, they're like, what did I score? What did I score? Do you see that? 100%. Look, the, one of the, the best ways of motivating salespeople, as we know, is league tables. Don't just do league tables on earning. Do league tables on earning. Make earning fun, make earning a, a, a prize, right? And again, go back to what you said before, is in you're trying to make a culture of coaching. The best way of doing that is by celebrating success through coaching. So why you wouldn't send around to your team every week who's scoring well on certain parts of the sales process, um, it, it, it baffles me, particularly as you're playing into one of the two things that that particular generation loves, which is which is learning. Um Oh, yeah. By the way, Aaron, before you go, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but it's just so important what you just said, because you and I are cut from the same cloth. I hear people say, well, we don't want to use leaderboards or scoring because we don't want to come across as too judgmental. And we really don't want to pit one person against another. Like, no, no. Salespeople are wired different. We love competition. We want to see if we can win or lose. We want to we want to be rated. That's true selling. Uh, You know, expand on that a little bit. Your perspective, your philosophy. Well, look, you've got to look at the mindset of a salesperson, right? Imagine you're a carpenter, right? You build a chair and then someone basically destroys that chair and then says, build it again. And then you build the chair and they destroy it and they say, build it again. That's what happens to sales every single month, every single quarter. No matter how good the chair (laughs) is, you're starting again. No matter how great you did the month before, you're starting again. The mentality of someone to go through that is almost sociopathic, right? These, these are the people, you know, you're, you're a sales guy, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, someone says to you... <laughs> I've never, I've just, I just never heard anybody use an analogy like that, but it makes total sense. Like, the type of person you've got to be to not only do that, but to thrive and enjoy that shows you how their brain is wanted. And it's all about recognition. It's all about what they're getting for doing it. And it's all about micro-targeting on goals. Yeah, you don't do that consistently over a 24 year career unless you're constantly just biting off little pieces and, and, and getting better and better and better. Now, when you add into that the new type of workforce, you know, and, and again, we've we've come from probably an old school way of doing things, right? Where, like you said, learning was osmotic. Someone said, right, just follow me. And this is how you do it. And then you learn it and then you did it and then you finessed it and perfected it yourself. Right. We're now in a position where. The technology is second nature to the people in the workforce now, right? So, uh, the talk I did on video content the other day, you know, if I get a 50-year-old dude to try and send a video outreach to someone, they might find it a bit difficult. This generation are doing it in their social time every minute of the day through Snapchat, through TikTok, through, through whatever, and it's playing into their hands of communication. So why you wouldn't enable your sales force to do that and to, to, to move with the times is beyond me, right? And exactly what you said before, my role wouldn't have existed 20 years ago. 
And it probably won't exist in 20 years because there'll be technology that can do what I do, which is fundamentally coaching, developing, training, onboarding, all the, the stuff that is important. But ultimately, a piece of technology can do that eventually. And I'm telling you now, organizations have to embrace this. They have to embrace it because the data side of, of, of learning is so important and it's so unbelievably shining a light on where you can improve. You'd be mad not to do it. Absolutely mad. But it all starts with coaching. Yeah, I, it all starts with coaching. I, I love that phrase you just said, the data side of learning. Powerful phrase. I love that phrase because that's what it is. We're moving from this, this, this art to science even though the science still needs a little art, if you know what I mean, because you still have to finesse whatever the system is telling you. And so when, you, when you're, I saw a study by, I think it was Forrester, if I got it wrong, I'm sorry, but like today, year 2020, the workforce here in the U.S. is 50% millennial, 50% boomers still. They want to bring mm. it apart like that. And in, in five years, by 2025, it's going to be a 75-25 split, 75 millennial, 25% boomers, because boomers are retiring right now. You know, yeah. they're leaving the workforce. So you do have this new generation coming in who just, they were they came out of the womb with a tablet. You know what I mean? A smartphone in one hand, tablet in the other, and they can just do these things. And so as, you know, what do you see as far as adaptability? I know it's an easy question in terms of technology with the newer generation. I mean, because these, these sales engagement platforms are not, you know, walking apart as platforms. I mean, it requires a lot of cognitive, you know, effort to learn these things. Talk to me about the, the tool, the technology that people are using. Yeah, and again, the, 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 the increasingly I'm hearing the term tech stack when it comes to sales enablement. So mm -hmm. you, what you'll find is there's a big Venn diagram of all of the products that you can buy where some are a little bit CMS, some are a little bit LMS, some are a little bit conversation intelligence, mm -hmm. some of them are a little bit outreach. There's no one out there at the moment who does a bit of everything, right? Uh, and when they do try and do a bit of everything, they usually do one part of it really, really well. So, and and, and back to your point around the, the mixture of the art and the science, Um the technology will help you look after the science. It will always have the human element of, of, you know, obviously investigating the data and, you know, the, the self-reflection that the rep needs when looking at the data as well. But I think that we're in a position now where technology does a lot of the heavy lifting versus our generation. So, like, you know, there's not much prospecting anymore. You can go on LinkedIn and do the prospecting. It's not like they've got to pick up a yellow page. It's like the good old days. So that's the first part of the sales process ticked off by technology. There's automatic dialing systems now where you don't even have to, pick up the phone it dials it for right. you and you're speaking to the right people and then when you're on the call itself you can go and diagnose that call through uh through um uh, through gong or, or chorus and then you go in salesforce and salesforce can serve up content from your lms at the right time so if you're about to go into an, a negotiation call the lms serves up the right type of content and then as a sales enablement group you can see who's reading it who's not reading it who's using it who's mm -hmm. not using it um and then you send off your proposal finally through echo sign or DocuSign. And the, you don't even have to get them to print it out anymore. And it's all done. So all this is doing is enabling the, the usual sales processes. But the outcomes of it are really interesting because you can trend out the data and realize where you need to improve. But there will always be a human element of it. Right. And you said something really fascinating before there, which is the science will always need. The, so the art will always need the science, but the science will always need the art as well. I can't give you a script and tell you to read something. I can't, you know, tell you to change your tone here and, and you'll do well. This is something that you do naturally as a salesperson. So when we're going through the recruitment stage, it becomes really interesting. Historically, we just looked for, you know, are they outgoing? Are they, you know, motivated by targets, this, that and the other. But now it's slightly different for me. One of the key parts of our recruitment process is coachability because you can train anyone to do anything if they're coachable. Um, 
And then also there's some basic stuff around how they deliver information about how they pitch, how they sell their tone, their pace, how quickly they can make decisions. You know, in a sales call, you're taking on four or five different pieces of key information at the same time. How do you know the right one to go down? How do you know the right questions right. to ask? How do you know the right funnel to go down? So what we're finding is, is that in many ways, it's opening up the type of salesperson that we need. It's not just that kind of they're loud, they're obnoxious, they can talk for England. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the brain and the, and the, the learning capability behind it, because that's what's going to drive their trajectory and their growth in the organization as well. Um, and and right. you raise an interesting point, right, is that boomers are leaving the workforce. Well, who's becoming the managers? Who's becoming the CEOs? It's the millennials. Right. So these guys are going to very quickly say, we need technology to solve these problems. And they're going to be making the important decisions. And if organizations aren't nimble enough, they're going to be left behind because you've got to have the capability of examining learning and using that data to actually drive change. I love it. Do, do you see that, you're staying on the topic of coaching, do you see like this bifurcation, this like, okay, managers, you manage. And over here, we, we have this entity called the coaching entity. Your job is to coach because the manager doesn't have time to do it. Do you see anything like that happening from your perspective? No, the way I describe it is that most days you, you cook at home, right? But then occasionally you're too tired or you're too busy and then you go out for a takeaway. The coaching and a sales enablement function should be the takeaway, right? The, 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 the daily eating at home should be the management, right? They should be driving and policing locally with their reps of the right behaviors, you know, the, the, the right skill sets, the right competencies, the right knowledge base, that should be driven internally with a the manager. They should work very closely with sales enablement to use us as another support to go in there and help on certain things that they need help with as well. Sometimes a second voice is more powerful than, a, than, than even um, more experience. Someone saying it the same way but in a different voice can be enough for a rep to change. Uh, and sometimes managers are too close to the problem. Um, you know, they don't see the problem because they're, they're dealing with this rep every single day. And then you get them in sales enablement and you diagnose very quickly where the problem is and then you can start working on it together. So those two functions are supposed to complement each other. What I will say is that if I could distill down the fundamentals of a manager's role, it should be this. It should be driving your reps to get better at what they're doing every single day. So they should be better than they were yesterday. That's that's number one function of a manager. Number two is to push the company strategy to the point where the reps go, I'm 100% brought in. I will crawl through broken glass to follow you on this journey, Mr. Manager or Mrs. Manager. And lastly, create a set of localized values and, and, and team culture that means that the reps' heads want to pop off the pillow every day wanting to come into work. The last thing they need to do is report. Where do you think managers spend most of their time at, at those four things? Probably uh, report. Yeah. I was going to say culture, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think of before? 100%. I, th- I think reporting is where they spend way too much of their time. One of the things I teach right. managers of is, is, is being able to say no to your boss. Because if your boss can't right. reach into the, into the CRM and find the data they need, there's a problem with the CRM. Mm-hmm. There's not a problem with the, with the management structure. Your job should be dominated by your reps. It should be. That's why you're there. Um, how do you create, you know, sorry. not even interrupt, but how do you create like the, you, 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 you ticked me on the culture piece, right? Because that's you because we talked about it earlier, right? You got, you got to get these guys fired up, understand their mindset, who they are, you know, the, the breaking of the chair, do it again type of analogy. How do you like what do you see from a culture standpoint? How do you build and maintain a strong culture? Because culture is such a ethereal word right mm-hmm. 
but it's hard to quantify and make tangible. I mean, what would be some strategies you would suggest? Yeah, and I think, to build I think a strong it, culture. It, it, it sort of feeds into, to use another analogy, it's like religion versus nationality is that you have a religion. Some people have a religion or, 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 or don't have a religion, and that's how they define themselves. But then they have a nationality. And that's how it should be in an organization is that the overarching culture and the, 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 the you know, the values and the mission and the vision of the, of the organization is, is one thing. But then there should be a localized way of doing that, much like a nationality, which is the, the, the team's localized values and the team's localized visions and the team's localized stretch. Um, and I think you need the two working in combination with each other. You can't just have one. Because if you've just got the team culture, they're not bought into the overall value. And then it becomes us versus them. And the manager spends a lot of time defending the corporate strategy. Then there's the other side, which is I love the company that I work for, but I hate my team and I hate my manager because I don't have any direction, don't have any understanding of what we're doing as a team, don't understand our purpose. To your point, we don't understand our why. So I think we spend way too much time on overall company values. Once someone's bought into the company values and they've agreed to come and work with you, it's usually a good indicator that they're, that they're here for the, for the company. Then the manager has to work on those localized, uh, you know, uh, team-wide values as well. Um, and the other thing I find is that values are, and, and culture is often inauthentic. You have to do what you say you're going to do in a culture. You can't just have buzzwords. You can't just turn around and go, we're authentic or radical candor or, you know, customer focused. It's like it doesn't mean anything. It's got to be the central thread of what everything that you do, every decision that you make, every conversation you have within an organization has to be driven by the values. They should be a lens at which you look through everything. And then as that trickles down, that should come to the to the to the team as well. Like I always say to my team, like if someone turns up late, it's not my job to tell them that they're late. It's your job to tell them that they're late because they're as, you're as responsible as I am for them being accountable. It's not my job to make everyone accountable. It's the team's job for everyone to be accountable for what they have to do. There seems to be this thing that the manager tells people off. No, no, no. One of our key values is honesty and always be constructive. So if you're talking to someone and they're late, just want to be really honest with you, you're late, you've let the team down, don't let it happen again. Anyone should have the ability to do that because they're breaking the localized values. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, by the way, I, I, like, I like your global to local. I, I love that analogy. I've never heard that phrase like that. I really love that. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think that's that's the point is in we're often scared of having localized values because we feel that they're conflicting with the company values. But that it's really important to have that because you're spending most of your time with your team. You're not spending most of your time with the company, particularly in sales. Yeah. Sometimes you don't leave your seat you're there for eight hours just on the phone or, or, or on Zoom. So you've got to have a set of localized values for that to really, really work. And I, and I love the part about the authenticity. The, uh, I had somebody ask me the question. I've had, I've, had, I've had this question several times. Victor, how can I be authentic? I don't even know how to answer that question. You know, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Just be, be honest and be authentic. Be, because you have to have a leader that is not afraid to say, this is how we roll. This is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to accomplish. I got it. Got the corporate values down. But here's how we roll on a day-to-day -day basis. These are the things we're yeah. trying to accomplish and do. And then lead that way. When you go, let, I want to take a back, step back, and you know when you went through the the process. And I want you to think of right now that the audience is maybe entrepreneurs or small business owners for a moment. And I'm thinking of rolling out. I got a sales team of ten to 15, 20 people. Right. I'm at the beginning of implementing. I got a CRM, uh, but mm -hmm. I'm trying to build out my tech stack with things like Chorus or Gong. You know what would be some suggestions, some steps that you would tell somebody. You know, baby steps to get going. 
what would you suggest them to begin building those data assets, those business intelligence data points? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use Gong, and I wouldn't use a, a product. I'd do it in house through Excel first. But once you've got adoption, and people realise the importance of it. Um, like I've got tons Explain of Excel. That. Well, like like, like a scorecard. A scorecard is an example, right? Um, you know, to, to set your managers up for success for coaching salespeople, you need a competency matrix on what they're coaching on. But you know, you have to have a competency matrix, or they're just coaching on anything. There's no direction to their coaching. There's no outcome to their coaching, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then when you score it, you just need uh, you know write down the competencies and write how they scored against those competencies, one to five. Give me, I've give me an example, Aaron. Give me. I'm going to push you hard here. I'm going to push you hard because I want some real like. Detail. I know it's up there. Give me an example of me starting out with a spreadsheet. I'm going to start. I'm going to build a scorecard first. What's my first scorecard? What does it contain? Okay, great. So, what's your sales process? Let's say using Med MedPick, okay. yeah, sales process or qualification process, MedPick. You got your M, you got your E, you got DD, PICC, yeah, and then you've got the implied okay. task. They need to get metrics around company goals, departmental goals, individual goals. Zero is they didn't get those those that information. One is they did it really poorly. Two is they did it adequately. Three is they did it really, really well. Four is they did it amazingly. And then you score them against it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you can start seeing how they've done in total on that opportunity against the information that you need. But more importantly, you find out where they're not doing well. And then you can coach against that, right? Mm-hmm. This is a really simple way of doing it, right? Now, th- th- what I wouldn't mm-hmm. say is go out and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on Gong without actually putting the simple processes in place in the first place. I wouldn't buy Gong if I've not put a sales process in place. Sales process is the common language that everyone in the organization speaks. When I say it's in negotiation review, we know why it's in negotiation review, because it's hit a certain amount of criteria to be there, right? Um, so th- there's three things, right? The, the, the way I'd start is qualification methodology, medic, med pick, whatever you want to use, right? Then you have your sales process. So what you need to do to, 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 to tick a, you know, an opportunity along as it goes along. Then last, you've got your sales methodology. How do you do it? So how's the training or the coaching around that work? So if we break this down into like baking a cake, yeah? Qualification mm-hmm. is the list of ingredients. Do I have them or do I not have them? Sales process is what I need to do. That's the instructions on how you do it. The methodology is, is, is how you do it. So how you whisk an egg, how you sift the flour. And at the end of it, if you mm-hmm. get all three of those right, you've got a perfect cake at the end. Way too many businesses conflate all three of those things. It's like our qualification methodology is our sales process, and it's also our sales methodology. So they can't be. They're three very distinct things. So once you've got that nailed down and you're comfortable with those three things, you work backwards from there on the scoring because you know what the common language is. Without those, there's no point mm-hmm. scoring. This is a waste of time. Because the, the Dude, I love this. I love this. I love this conversation. It, it's, you got analogies coming out of your ears, man. You just got them all. <laughs> we talk chairs. We talk cooking. We talk everything. Uh, but but I love that because what you're saying is again. Sometimes I talk to too many big companies, you know, enterprise companies, and they got this all down. But there's a lot of small businesses struggling to say, I don't even know where to start. There's yeah. so much technology coming at me. Uh, let, let's pivot a little bit on the technology piece, and that is. You know, you're dealing with a lot of technology. I mean, do you see like this? Because what I see in the market, Aaron, is like all these players, right? There's like just too many companies out there messing with data, right? Trying to capture data, trying to find the insights, right? Gong, Chorus, you name them. I mean, IPsoft, all these different companies, right? And there's all these different, this one can do that, that one can do that, that one can do that. How do you begin to kind of wrap your arms around 
all these pieces of technology to, and, and collapse it, let's say, around the CRM? It's a really good question. So I think the, the key thing is, is that it's about separating out the white noise from the genuine insight. And it, and it goes back to the last, the last thing we spoke about, is that collecting loads of data for the sake of collecting data is not valuable. Once you realize why you need the data, that's what starts driving it forward. So if you've agreed that medic is your best qualification process, I want to know how many times people are, are talking through an engagement plan with a client. And if they're not talking through an engagement plan, that's, that for me is a big red flag because they're, they're not talking about how they're going to fundamentally have a process to close this deal within the organization or within, for, for the prospect. So it's built around, you know, your sales process qualification methodology and, 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 um, uh, and sales methodology is the coat hanger, right? These tools just are the coat that goes on top of it. If you don't have that structure, it's a waste of time. So you've got to work out what's important to your organization and then listen to the signals on those key things. So as an example, right, we know for a fact that if we've got an opportunity in the last stage of our sales 85% chance of converting into contracted business. So guess what we push our reps to do? To get at the beginning of the month, as two or three ops in that stage so we know they're going to hit their quota for that month or that quarter. Right. Statistically, it's impossible for them to miss it because we know the conversion rates at that stage. So again, for us, that's a useful metric. How many times does someone say the, time, the word and on a call is irrelevant to us? Gong can give you that. It can tell you how many times someone says and or um or are, but it's not really useful. It's not, it's not useful information. You've got to work backwards from what's important to your business and what's important to your to your process structure and, and qualification. I you know, all these things you're saying, just like I said, there's a, there's an explosion in my head of different questions, but I love the fact that you're emphasizing, you know, qualification. If you don't have in place, that's a problem. Sales process, that's a problem. If you don't have that methodology, then begin to work backwards. What metrics you want to pull out of that? What do you need to start measuring? And then maybe then you start determining what pieces of technology you need to enhance whatever that process may be. Is that, that, is that a fair summary of that? 100%, yeah, 100%. Like the, the danger is, is you look at correlation and causality as being the same thing. It's very dangerous to get mm -hmm. into with, with any data form. You know, most CEOs are born on a Monday. It doesn't mean that it's because they were born on a Monday that they're CEOs. They just happen to be born on a Monday. Now, uh, so you don't look no, at that no, why data. Why do you say that? Well, because, because as an example, yeah. you don't want to look at calls and say, this is really funny. The, co the, the, the correlation here is that every time we mention this particular word, it turns into a deal that closes. You don't, you don't know that. That just might happen to be the case. You've got to interrogate that data and work out what's mm -hmm. actually working and what's not working. So many businesses get, get too into this data thing and they're like, oh, yeah, look, if, we, you, if you say this word, it's got an increased chance of closing. It's like, no, that's not true. They just happen to have had that. So you can't, con you can't um, confuse correlation and causation. They're, just, they're two very different things. Some things just happen to be the same. Other things are what's driving the, the, the outcomes. So, so if, if I'm a small company, I put, I put my process methodology uh, qualification piece in place. I bought my technology. I mean, do you recommend that companies maybe just bring in somebody, you know, a quant, a data scientist, or somebody to actually be able to manage this, you know what I mean, to make sure it's, it is correlation and not or the other way around. It is causality, not correlation. I mean, how do you do it? I mean, no, that's on. I'm a small business guy. What do I do, Aaron? What do I do? If you've got over 30 employees that are in sales, you have to have sales enablement. 
Because you, because, because mm-hmm. my guess is you need to scale, and my guess is that your managers are stretched, and your managers are usually got too many people that are reporting into them. Um, as soon as you hit that magic number, you should get someone from sales enablement, and they they run that for you. It's becoming or revenue enablement, whatever you want to call it. It's becoming one of the key parts of the business now. Like I'm noticing the trend so much, where you know the the the, uh, the, CEO, the, uh, the sales enablement guys reporting into the CEO because they're, they're that close to strategy and that close to, to execution. Um, and, and, and in my role, I'm at the moment we, we report into the C-suite, and it's like it's really important. So I think that um, my advice to small businesses would be: that, first of all, don't rush out and buy all the products because you 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 know. You've got, you've got to take your time as you do that, and you can add to your tech stack as you go along. The key thing is CRM. Always start with CRM. You're in big trouble with no CRM. But bring in someone who can build some of this stuff in-house through, through, through you know, Microsoft, Excel. And then if you get real adoption and it's driving and it's become useful, then you go and get a product that can do it. We can do it with all the bells and the whistles and, and do it better. Um, my, 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 all my biggest worry is, is that if you had the choice now between buying Gong um, or, or hiring a couple of salespeople, you know, you're going to get far more value about hiring a couple of salespeople if you've got a sales enablement person because they're going to drive more revenue. Gong is just a way right. of you analyzing the information. Um, so, yeah, like I, I don't know, I, 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 I'm probably not a great advert for these tools, but they are great when you need them because they're great when the right person's managing them. Um, no, and I, think, I, th- I think what you're saying is, I think what you're saying is very real, though, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a moment in time in, in the process where you should buy and build your tech stack out, get more intelligence where you need it, almost like a sniper, right? Yeah. You know, you, I need that. That's what I need to solve. Let me hit that one right there. So, so I think that's that's a good summary. Uh, man, we can go on with this, man, dude. This this is a great conversation, Aaron. I love it, man. Yeah, By the way, let them know. <laughs> let them know where they can find out more information on you. What's that? I can talk about this stuff all day. I'm very passionate and I love it. I absolutely love it. So. No, of course not. Yeah, of course you're <laughs> passionate, man. I can tell, man. I can tell, man. Let them know where they can find out more information about you and your company. Yeah, so look, um, the, the, the best way of getting hold of me is on LinkedIn. Um, Aaron Evans, um, I, I post a sales tip every single day as well. Um, so get your teams to follow me if they want some of my insight and some of my experience. Um, and I give away all of my content as well. So if you want a copy of a, a competency framework, if you want a copy of a coaching um, framework and all the tools, I'm happy to give you that stuff. So just hook me up and hit, hit me up and I'll, and I'll happily give it to you. Perfect. Uh, send me a link where that might be if you have one and I'll include yeah. it with the notes of the show. But uh, yeah, that's how I actually found you, by the way. You were posting on LinkedIn and you posted a couple of things. I was like, okay, he's real. You know what I mean? It's like he's being very direct. He's real. I like this guy because we've never met. I just know I liked your post. I go, yeah, I think I want to talk to this guy. This guy seems a little one degree off center, and I love people who are like that. Do you know what I mean? Maybe more than one degree off center. Anyway, let me close this out. Anyway, this is Victor Antonio. Please leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitch, or YouTube, or wherever you find me. Uh, check out Aaron uh, Evans on LinkedIn. Follow him. And again, thank you for listening. Leave us some feedback. And again, remember, selenate hard when you follow Evan, Aaron Evans, and Victor Antonio. Take care. See you next time.